So please go on ahead and turn your Bibles to Judges chapter 6. We will focus uh, in the book of Judges. Chapters uh, 6 and 7 is really where we'll camp this morning. If you were not here last week or the week before that, we started a series on courage. And Mark Mancini has done an incredible job these past two Sundays talking about 20 seconds of insane courage. Okay? The insane part is an adjective. Okay? Not 20 seconds of insanity, but of insane courage, right? But it's been, uh, it's been really great to, uh, to reflect on the uh, scriptures that Mark have used, the points he's made, and really to look at my own life and see where God is pointing to that I need to be courageous and to be able to make decisions about that. The title of my lesson this morning is Getting It Done in the Face of Fear. Of course, you've heard it, uh, it, it's been mentioned, or you've read the quote that says, Courage is not the absence of fear, but the ability to continue in spite of fear. Or if you look up the uh, definition of the word courage, one of the, the definitions you'll see there is courage is strength in the face of fear. And, you know, I, I look at these quotes or this definition, I say to myself, well, where does that ability or that strength come from? Right? I mean, in the face of fear, we need that. And as I'm looking through, and there are different variations of uh, these, this quote, I found one, and if we can go ahead and uh, put it on the screen there. It says, courage is not the absence of fear, but the acquired Ability to move beyond fear. And uh, you may say, well, Pierre, what's the difference? What are you talking about? For me, I think about, okay, well, you know, for us to be able to go beyond fear, certainly we need strength and we need the ability to do that. But where is that going to come from? Is it mental ascent? In other words, do I just close my eyes and say, be strong, be strong? Is that where it comes from? Or do I click my heels as I say that? Is, is, that where, is that where the strength that I need to be courageous in the face of fear, is that where it's going to come from? And, uh, you know, really this morning, that's the lens I want to encourage you to put on as we look at uh, the story of Gideon, is where does the strength or the ability that we need to be courageous, where does it come from? We can all relate to fear. This is why I love the story of Gideon, because it's real. You know, as you read it, you see in there, I mean, the, the author really makes it very clear. And of course, the Spirit of God speaking through the author makes it very clear that Gideon was afraid. But yet he pushed through in the face of fear. He got it done. It's a well-known narrative in the Bible, and it's filled with spiritual lessons. Which is good, because it helps us to understand how God is working in our lives, and how does he... Or how do we tap into the ability or the strength that we need to be courageous? So uh, at this point, you you should be there already. Judges chapter 6, and we'll start there, starting in verse 1. If you're not there, I'll give you a chance to get there. In verse 1, it says, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. 
Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whether the Israelites planted their crops, I'm sorry, whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swamps of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help, which is a good thing. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians. And I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. Let's stop there for a second. You know, you look at the, the, the first uh, part there of, the, uh, of chapter 6, and it really talks about why is it that we need courage? You know, before we get into the house, how do we get courage? How do we find the strength and the ability to be courageous in the face of fear? It's important to talk about why we need courage. Like, what, what, what states in our lives do we get in that require that we're courageous? And, of course, as we read this text, you know, it talks about the Israelites and the Midianites. And some of you, you're, you're Bible scholars. I know some like to refer to it as Bible nerds. But we understand you're Bible scholars. And, uh, and guys, truthfully, that's a good thing. The more we know the scriptures, the more we understand it, the more we can see what God's doing in our lives. And so some of you who are in tune biblically, as you read this and you say, wait a minute. It's talking about the Midianites. Didn't Moses marry a Midianite woman? Wasn't his father-in-law Jethro a Midianite? And wasn't it Jethro who uh, came and visited the Israelites on the onset of their journey from Egypt and gave Moses some advice and said to him, look, Moses, you've got to select some leaders. You've got to delegate some of your responsibilities to them or you will become overwhelmed and you'll burn out. So at one point, Israel, the Israelites and the uh, Midianites, they were friends. There was a relationship there. But by the time we get to Judges chapter 6, they're no longer friends. And the text tells us that God, it says the, the Israelites had sinned. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. And that God allowed the Israelites to be oppressed by the Midianites because the Israelites did evil in his sight. They deviated from his word and chose to worship false gods and put their hope in these idols. God was allowing them to go through time or this time of discipline in the hand of the Midianites to help them come back to their senses 
and turn back to God. Now, can't you relate to that in some ways? You know, verse 6 says that God allowed the Midianites to, de- to be depleted, completely depleted. It uses the word impoverish. That the Midianites depleted the Israelites almost to nothing. You know, this is no different from what happens in our lives. We allow carelessness or flat-out disobedience to God's word to persist in our lives for so long that we find ourselves in a state of spiritual impoverishment. You know, where spiritually, we're, you know, not, not what the scriptures say in Matthew chapter uh, 7 about being poor in spirit, but exhausted spiritually. You know, where our spiritual strength, our spiritual zeal and enthusiasm for God and his people are exhausted and depleted completely. I don't know about you, but I can relate to that. I can, I can remember times where I've been at that point. And for some of us this morning, that's where we're at spiritually. Not all of you, but some of you are there. Others of you, you're at a point where you're climbing out of this state, but you're doing it on your own strength. You know where you're, you, you realize where you're at, you're white knuckling and saying, I'm going to get to a different point spiritually. But I know from my own experience, when we do that, we only find ourselves again in this place. Spiritual oppression. Maybe some of us are beyond this point, but we can remember and attest to the reality of being spiritually oppressed. You can think back of a time where that was the case. This is where you at, where you were rather. When we get to a place like that, it's always so much easier to blame everyone else and not take responsibility. I mean, isn't it? And again, guys, I'm not just talking to you as if I can't relate to this. But this is the point where it's, it's everything that's going wrong in our lives, it's all about what people are not doing. And had people been more involved in my life, then I would have been at a different place spiritually. And then it's sort of like a domino effect. You know, one thing goes and another goes, and then you find yourself, and you're like, that's not where I want to be spiritually. But there's a, a, a point of weakness there. Spiritual weakness, that is. But, you know, we can blame other people. You look at the Israelites here, right? I mean, they're like, man, you know, God, it's the Midianites, what they're doing and how they're coming with all their camels and ravishing what we have. But the text says, hey, you've done evil in the eyes of the Lord. The Israelites cried out for help, and God sent them a prophet who pointed out how they had deviated from God's word. And have chosen to worship false gods. But when you read that part there, you get the sense that nothing happened even after the prophet came and shared with them where they were. Nothing happened. You know, I thank God for the spiritual people in our lives who tell us the truth. They don't hold back, but they see things. And they don't need to be prompted by anyone to say it, but they see it and they say it. You know, we have a great sister in, in one of our small groups, Melinda Neumann. Melinda will tell you what she sees. And the brothers, we had a, a kind of a, we, we pulled together and we were having a discipling group. And one of, one of the brothers expressed, you know, we need to be more like Melinda in each other's lives. But Melinda will tell you the truth. 
But you know, sometimes not much change takes place even after someone tells us the truth. Well, even after for ourselves, we see it in the word of God. We realize this is where we're at, but not much change takes place. Guys, that's a state of spiritual impoverishment. Somehow, the evil we've done, the things we're not addressing in our lives, zapping away and exhausting all of our spiritual strength. You know, I'm not saying that it's not possible to be a victim of other people's sins. God knows I know what that feels like. Because if you've been a Christian long enough, as Mark mentioned last week, you know, you'll be wronged by someone in here. That will happen. But, you know, we can't change other people. We can't change anything in other people. All we can do is change things in our own lives. Make decisions from where we're at. So if we decide to really take a look at our lives, we may find the mistake that we've made. We may be able to own it and change. You know, we can remain in the spirit of discipline for years where we harden ourselves and choose not to listen to what God is helping us to see about ourselves. We become apathetic. It's kind of like, <laughs> you know, spiritual blind. It's not much happening. Last week as I uh, was uh, in the health club in our apartment complex trying to get some exercise done, there was a young man. He was 18 years old working out. And so I thought, okay, let me just reach out to him. And I started talking to this young man, and I gave him an invitation to come out to church, and he expressed to me, he says, you know what, I try not to go to church. And I said, well, why not? He says, well, you know what, I, I, I'm really a heavy drug user. And he says, as a matter of fact, I'm high right now as we're talking. And the thing is, I mean, that's a bold statement for an 18-year-old to make. And it's even sarcastic in some ways. But when you stop and you think about it, that's devastating. So I asked him, I said, you, and, you know, the old man just kicked, kicked, the, kicked in in me. I'm like, this 18-year-old, I got to get him out of this. I said, have you thought about just the damage that that's doing to your body? He said, yeah, I have. He said, but I can't change it. This is where I'm at. You know, that young man is spiritually impoverished. I threw everything at him. You know, he's like, yeah, I grew up in uh, East Arlington, and uh, he's of Mexican descent. He explained, hey, you know, I didn't have much great uh, mentors in my life and all of that. I said, hey, you know, I have a lot of great Mexican friends. <laughs> People you can, you can meet, come to church, and, and, and that way you can build friendship. People you know. He says, you know what, no, I, you know, I get too anxious when I'm not using. And I can't even come in a big group. But that's spiritual impoverishment. Again, we can become apathetic, even though, we, even though we know where we're at, but not much is being done to change that. So this morning, my question is, what is the evil in your life this morning? If you retrace your steps, when did it all begin? What happened? What got you to this point? I know it's a domino effect. It's things that up on things and after, you know, just different things just happening and happening that leads to this. But what was it for you? Is there a secret sin in your life? Have you lied about something? 
You know, uh, I remember being young. It says, what a, what a web we weave when we tend to deceive. Right? Has there been some impurity or immorality in your life? Have you been drinking too much? Using illegal substances? What is it for you? If you trace, retrace your steps, where does it lead? Are you too independent and aloof as a disciple of Jesus where you live your life as if you don't need the body of Christ? Oh, yeah, you're willing to give to others. You're willing to get together. But for you, pulling people in, it's not happening. Is that where it leads for you? Is that what led to the impoverishment? Or does your situation fall on the other end of the spectrum where you're delegating your relationship with God to others? Because, you know, you're too busy to make heartfelt decisions about your walk with God. So I'm just going to listen to what somebody say I ought to do. Is that where you're at? You know, it's a huge temptation, guys, as we, uh, we get ready here to look at Gideon and how he chose to be courageous in the face of fear. We have to realize that's a huge temptation and very easy not to deal with the evil in our lives. Because we have so many distractions, so many forms of, of um, you know, escape in our lives. You know, instead of really trying to figure out what, what is this sorrow I feel, what is this pain, we can go to food instead. I know I can relate to that, and I realize how that, I, that can be my downfall. We can drown ourselves in worldly relationships. And you know, that's not because it's, uh, it, it really has an impact in our lives, because it obviously doesn't. It causes us to, uh, to compromise our morals, our standard. But we do it because, you know, there's something else that we're not dealing with. You know, Netflix and social media can suck us in for hours in a day. What is that about? Why? Because then that's when the fantasy lives kick in. You don't need to deal with life. You're living vicariously through other people, but you're not dealing with your own life. You know, you're not facing the distress, the conflict, and the pain that is there. So, you know, it's time to face evil in the eyes and start digging. I don't mean to be a downer this morning, but I need to make it clear. We can get to this point where there's a, we need courage to be able to push through. It's not going to change just because we realize this is where we're at. You know, we have to take ownership of where we're at, be open and change. These things in your life aren't new to God. He knows about them. And we need to go to him and really deal with this. See, this is why we need courage. Very similar to the Israelites, we don't walk out of the spiritual oppression just because we realize we're there. It requires courage on our part. And this is where Gideon comes in. And we're going to read starting in verse 11. And I love this story. Now, verse 11 says here, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash de Abiezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in the winepress to keep it from the Midianites. He wasn't trying to be seen. Verse 12 says, When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. 
I mean, it's almost ironic, I'm sure, to get in. Okay, here I am in this, in this hole. <laughs> I'm hiding. Verse 13, Gideon says, pardon me, my Lord, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Were all of his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? Where are these wonders? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of the Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Am I not God Almighty, the creator of the universe, who knows you and know the situation better than you can explain it? Am I not that God who's sending you? Gideon again says, pardon me, my Lord. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Let's stop there for a second. So Gideon needed to be convinced that God was with him. And you know, which brings me to the first lesson I think we can learn here in regards to courage. If we're going to be courageous, we need to be convinced that God is with us. That's where the strength is going to come from. You know, here it is, Gideon is trying to hide. He's trying to do his thing without being seen, probably just trying to get enough wheat to make bread for his family. And the angel of the Lord came to him and says, look, God is with you, your mighty warrior. And, you know, and as you read through the text, you realize Gideon really wanted to make sure that God was with him. He asked a bunch of questions. He figured out ways to, and, you know, really his heart, I believe, was God. I want to see your hand in this. I want to see that you're there. But he was really trying to be convinced that God is with him. And this is what we need to do. You know, this is what God reiterates to men and women in the scriptures when they're afraid. When you look through the Bible. You know, and we'll look at a few things here. You know, in Genesis chapter 26 and verse 24. And you want to stay there in Gideon. I'll read it out loud. You write it down. You can look at it. And verse 24 says, that night the Lord appeared to him, speaking about Isaac, and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. God wanted Isaac to know that he was with him. Don't be afraid. You know, in Isaiah 41, verse 10, and in Jeremiah 42, verse 11, God speaking to the prophet told God's people, in Isaiah, he said, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. In Jeremiah 42, verse 11, God says, Do not be afraid of the king of Babylon, whom you now fear. Do not be afraid of him, declare from his hands. Look at what God says through the prophet Agai to some specific people there in this particular moment. In Agai chapter 2, verse 4, But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. 
For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. And uh, just so that you realize, you know, God didn't stop encouraging or still encouraging to people this way just in the Old Testament. You move through the New Testament in Acts chapter 18. And this is God ministering to Paul. And, you know, what we know about Paul and the incredible man of God he was, but Paul had times when he was afraid. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, do not be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent, for I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you. Because I have many people in this city. Paul was tempted to be afraid. This is why God spoke with him in this way. And, of course, in Matthew 28, verse 19 to 20, you know, to all disciples of Jesus, because it's a daunting task to be involved in helping others to get to know God. You know, there's a lot of heartache in that. Sometimes you want to be discouraged and give up. And this is what Jesus said to the disciples there, the apostles and the, the rest who were following him before he left. He said, therefore, go. Don't stay in this state. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. You know, maybe you're not a disciple of Jesus this morning and you're thinking, hey, uh, does this apply to me? Certainly does. You know, maybe you're just studying the Bible. You know, God really wants you to know that he's created you. And the Bible described that not only as he made the world inhabitable for us to live in, but he's done it in such a way that points to him. That you may know that he is with you. You know, not only nature, but you know, the way God allowed the scriptures to be written. It points to him. You know, the details. And you look back in history, how God has worked through history to bring us to this place and the things he's done in our lives. The message there is God is with you. You know, how do you, we, we need to look for ways that he's telling us that he's with us. You know, ask him to show you his hand in your situation. You know, this is the way we become convinced of the fact that God's with us. You know, it's not just we're going at this in our, at our own strength. But that strength or that ability, it comes from him. And it comes from walking with him. You know, identify your life verse and start making life decisions based on that verse. It really is important. This is the stuff that's going to help us be convinced that God is with us. You know, look at Judges chapter 6 and in Judges chapter 6, verse 25 and 27. You know, Gideon starts to be convinced here. In verse 25, that same night after the angel of the Lord came to him, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of, of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. You got to understand how terrifying this was for Gideon. You know, these people have been steeped in idol worship at this point. His own father was put in charge of this idol worship kind of situation. And he was told that very night to go and destroy that situation. Verse 27, it says, so Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. Check this out. 
But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. You know, more convinced that God is with him, he could do this. So he stepped out even in fear to do this. And really, this is where I believe we need to be more convinced that God is with us. This is what will help us to be courageous in the face of fear. Soon after this happened, the people of Midian and a group of other nations from the the east formed an alliance against Israel. And they decided to cross over the Jordan, and the plan was to overtake the Israelites. Now, in chapter 8, we learned that this group was made up of about 135,000 men. So prompted by God, Gideon sent messengers through his tribe of Manasseh and to the other surrounding tribes of Israel requesting help to go and defeat Midian and their allies. And we'll pick it up here in Judges chapter 7 and verse 1. You know, being convinced that God is with you I'm convinced is the key. It's like, you know, for parents of young children, we, we, we know what that's about. If your kids wake up in the middle of the night, they're screaming because they're afraid. You know what you want? The first thing we, we, we do is we want to con- make sure that they're convinced and know that we're there. Uh, you know, moving to Texas was just one of those things. You know, back in the northeast of New Jersey, there's a lot of snowstorms. But tornadoes and all that, I wasn't used to it. And, you know, the storms can be pretty scary here. And uh, usually the way the scene goes in our, in our house is that, you know, when you have one of those crazy storms going on and all the lightning and all the thunder, the girls will leave their room and they'll run to our bedroom. And then without, you know, not saying much, they jump right in the middle of us. And, you know, what, what's that? I want to know you're there. I want to feel you. I want to know you're with me. And it's no different, guys, with God. God wants us to know that he's with us. This is the way he encourages us, telling us that he's with us. But you have to be convinced of that. If you're not convinced, it doesn't change anything at all. But fear will come. Mental assent doesn't push us through it. But it's really being convinced that God is with us. In chapter 7 here, in verse 1, it says, Early in the morning... Jerubel, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morang. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. Now here's the thing. The kicker is they had 35,000 men. And we know the uh, enemy, right? They had, are you saying we have too many men? This doesn't compute. But the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian in their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear, you know, I'm sure there are plenty of people there. They may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 out of the 135 men left while 10,000 remained. It's like, show me the back door. Where do I go? 
But they were trembling with fear. God said, look, we need to, to really bring it down here to a good size. So there are ten men that, that remain. In verse 4, but the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. It's like, God, I don't want it thinned out. <laughs> but Gideon obeyed, because at this point, he's more convinced than he's ever been in his life. God is with him. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But I, if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from from those who kneel, down, who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. So only 300 out of the 10,000, right? So I'm sure Gideon's thinking, okay, let the one that lapped, let's let them go. But that's not what God says. Verse 7, the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you. And give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelite home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. It's like, what in the world is going on? What kind of strategy is this? But God brought the army from, from 32,000 all the way down to 300. If you do the math correctly, going against an army of 135,000, that's for each man on the Israelite side is 450 men on the other side. I mean, think about the odds there. You know, I, 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 um, I was looking online, just different odds of things we can do. You know, the, the odds of you marrying a millionaire. And, you know, and I know you all marry for love. And we're, we're, we're spiritual people, so money doesn't matter. But let's just say, the odds of that is 1 to 220. So you have better odds of marrying a millionaire then Gideon and the Israelite army had at succeeding against the, the Midianites. You know, the 